Good morning, Hope Church. Did I do that? Oops. I do have to get my water, though. I'll never make it without that. Oh, thank you. It's my daughter. Hi, Emma. Hey, you guys have a good week this past week? Good week? Yeah? A lot of celebrating going on. You guys have stuff to celebrate? Yeah? Anything? Just yeah? No specifics? Huh? A wedding? A wedding? That's always something to celebrate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I apologize that I missed... uh, What's that? Drew's birthday. Oh, another reason to celebrate, right? Happy birthday. Yeah. I, uh, I neglected last week to mention, though, that last Sunday was a very important day. It was National Avocado Day. Hey, you know, I like avocado. What can I say? And I know some of you do as well, right? Yeah. Well, we had a pretty good week. We had some work done. This actually wasn't done last week. Uh, it was done the week before. We had a new liner put in the swimming pool. And when the guys were done installing it, one of the guys came up to me and he kind of smiled and he handed me a sign and said, uh, I don't know if you want to put this up or not. And I looked at it and the sign said, danger, no diving, shallow water, diving may cause death or permanent injury. And then there's the picture of the, the, the guy with his head you know, on the bottom and his neck is like exploding or something. And, uh, you know, look, the pool is only three feet deep at that one end. So the question becomes, do we really need a warning like that? Eh, maybe, maybe. But it does seem like common sense to not attempt a dive in water that shallow. But then I read something about some other warning labels that have been observed. Like the wheelbarrow that said, not for highway use. Okay. Or the Black & Decker drill with the warning, not intended for use as a dental drill. I see a dentist coming at me with a Black & Decker and I'm out of there. Right? Or the collapsible stroller that said, remove child before folding. Okay. Then there was the hairdryer that warned, do not use while sleeping. A lot of people drying their hair when they're sleeping. I don't know. I guess maybe. And then the medication label that read, may cause drowsiness, use care when operating a vehicle. Now that actually seems pretty reasonable, right? So you come to know that this was on a medication for a dog. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? You know, do we need warnings like this? Some of them seem quite inane, but look, you never know what people are going to attempt, right? I mean, people do some crazy stuff. By the way, you know what the most common phrase heard from men is right before they die? Hey guys, watch this. I pick on guys. 
But the truth is, friends, that all of us, no matter who we are at times, are prone to do things that just may not make real good sense. Sometimes we need warnings to keep us from doing things that may harm us, like diving into the shallow end of the pool. Now, in our current series of messages, Wisdom for Today, Solomon has written a number of warnings, a number of warnings. He's written these to his son, and we find these recorded in the book of Proverbs. Our focus in this series is on the first nine chapters of Proverbs, and he's written these to his son. But we know that these warnings are for our benefit as well, right? This wisdom that Solomon shares with us is as relevant today as it was for his son when it was written some 2,800 or so years ago. Now, early on we learned that the goal of Proverbs is to describe and instill wisdom, to describe and instill knowledge in God's people. And friends, that includes us. We are part of that group. We are God's people. So Proverbs can teach us wise dealing in things like righteousness and justice and equity. These teachings can impart knowledge and discretion to all ages. Even those who are already wise can still grow in learning and understanding. And all of this is founded in what? What's the foundation of all of this? Learned it in week one. The fear of the Lord, right? That's why we're memorizing Proverbs 1 verse 7. Ready? Okay, I'll do it with you. Oh, don't put it up yet. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we're going to have this down. We're going to have this down by the end of the summer. So what, what Solomon is telling us here is that this wisdom is meant to keep us on the correct path of life on the path of wisdom. He says, don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left, stay focused on the path of wisdom ahead of you because it is the path of wisdom that leads to life as opposed to the path of foolishness that leads to death and destruction. Now, the message for today deals with what I'm calling the folly of seduction. The folly of seduction. And what we're talking about here, really, friends, is sexual desires. We're talking about sex. Can you do that in church? You should, because, I mean, the Bible has quite a bit to say about it. Solomon has a lot to say, and we're going to investigate that today. Now, Quick question, does this sound like we need something we need a warning about? Do we need a warning sign for this? I mean, it, it does seem pretty obvious that adultery, and that's kind of what his focus is, adultery is sort of like diving into the shallow end of the pool, right? It's, it's wrong, and it can be very destructive. 
But I want us to think for a moment about what guides us and, and where do we actually get our moral compass. It certainly shouldn't be from culture, right? We shouldn't be listening to the world when it comes to these things. So that's a worldview that we don't subscribe to. As Christians and here at Hope Church, we hold to what kind of a worldview? A biblical worldview, right? We view the world through the lens of Scripture. We look to the absolute truths found in Scripture to guide us through life. And that's why we look to Scripture on this subject as well. Now, you may have noticed that there's a lot of Scripture for today. You know, we've got chapter 5, verses 1 through 23, chapter 6, verses 20 through 35, 7, 1 to 27. That's a lot. Solomon has a lot to say. But our focus, we're going to kind of focus in on chapter 5, and we're going to reference these other chapters as we go. So if you want to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5, that's going to be where we sort of live. But what we see is Solomon repeating these three warnings, these three appeals to his sons, to us. So what does that tell us about this subject, that he, had, that he thinks enough to repeat it three times? As a matter of fact, if you remember back in week two, he talked about it a little bit in chapter one as well. A lot of repetition here. So what does this mean? It means this is important. And it means that we should listen. Now chapter 5 begins with a call to attention. He says, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. And if we look at the other two appeals, we will see in chapter 6 and chapter 7, they begin very similarly. Matter of fact, chapter 7 says, My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Now, I just want to ask you a quick question here. And this is something that we've mentioned a little bit earlier in our study because Solomon talks about my commands. Now, are these commands things that Solomon just sort of dreamt up? Is this, is, are these his commands? Are these his ideas? No, absolutely not. These are commands from our Heavenly Father. These are commands from God. And what we see here, once again, Solomon outlines the benefits of obedience to God's law. He talks about discretion. He talks about life. As a matter of fact, in chapter 6, he says, when you walk, they, meaning his commands, will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. So these commands are given for our protection. They are to keep us from the darkness of this path of foolishness. And verse 3 tells us exactly what we are being protected from. It says, For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. So the warning is about the adulterous woman and the power 
of her words. Friends, we talked about this a little bit last week. Speech, speech is, is powerful. It's powerful. And her words can be seductive. We see similar references in chapter 6, verse 24, and 7, uh, 5 as well. In fact, in 7.21 it says, With persuasive words she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. Now, I do want to pause briefly here just to clarify something because this, this does appear pretty one-sided, right? Yeah, it's, it's always the adulterous woman, you know, right? Doing the seducing, the smooth talking. But look, a smooth talking man can be just as dangerous as a smooth talking woman. It just so happens that Solomon is writing to his son. So he's warning his son to beware of adulterous women. If he was writing to his daughter, if he had one, he would be writing about the adulterous man. Okay? So guys, you're not off the hook. It's men, it's women, and, and no matter who you are, when you see someone like this, when you hear someone like this, get out of there. Run the other way. Because verses 4 through 6 tell us in the end she or he is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. And honestly, friends, that's how it is with adultery. That's what it is with sexual immorality. Really, all sin, all sin, it promises fulfillment, right? I mean, it, 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 it appears and sounds sweet, sweet like honey, smooth like oil, as he says in, in verse 3. But it's a false promise. It's a lie. The truth is, it turns out to be bitter. And this smoothness becomes a double-edged sword, piercing and destroying, leading us down the path of foolishness that leads to death. There's no thought to the way of wisdom. No, there's no thought to the way of life. It's just wandering in the darkness. And Solomon pleads with his sons in the following verses. He says, now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. And again, here it is. We see repetition, right? Repetition. Talked about this last week. How do we best learn? We best learn by repetition. So do we need these warnings? Absolutely, we need these warnings. We need them repeated over and over and over again until they become part of our nature. Until we have them written on our hearts. And the advice here is to stay away. Don't, don't test your ability to resist. You know, the best defense is distance. Don't even go near the door of her house. Don't tempt yourself. As Solomon has told us in the past, don't even take that first step down the path. Don't go there. 
because there's always a price to pay. And Solomon outlines the cost in the following verses. Verse 9, he says, Lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. And I think it's really interesting that Solomon starts here with honor and dignity. Honor and dignity. These things are most important in life. And these things are lost for failing to heed the warning that we find in verses 7 and 8. Chapter 6 actually kind of takes it a little bit further. He expounds on it, but takes it further. He says, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Verse 10 speaks to another cost. It says, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. I think we've seen plenty of evidence that adultery can bring financial ruin. Divorce can bring financial ruin. Verse 11 tells us that our health is at risk. It says, at the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. Friends, sexual immorality can lead to disease, can lead to the breakdown of health. Just the stress, just the stress of being untruthful, the stress of leading a double life, that stress can have damaging effects on one's health. Verse 12 talks about regret. Solomon writes, you will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. And the truth is, friends, it's very often when we look back that we understand the empty promises of sin. We understand that sin offers us something that it really can't deliver on. And many who have fallen into sexual temptation, have succumbed to sexual temptation, they've asked these kind of questions. You know, how did I get here? How could I have given up so much for so little? Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I stay on the path of wisdom? How foolish all of this has been. And then verse 14 speaks to what I refer to as the secret revealed. It says, and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Now, I'm not sure that I care for the way that sounds in the New International Version. The English Standard Version and other translations worded a little bit differently. I kind of prefer this. It says, I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. So, you know, all of this is taking place in secret, right? Adultery normally takes place in secret. No one plans on getting caught. But when it does become public, it can take one to the edge of disaster. 
And this happens in full view of the congregation. You follow me? I mean, sin doesn't necessarily get you in trouble with the church, with us, right? Not necessarily. Sin gets you in trouble with God. So what's the solution? I mean, look, God made us this way, right? He made us as sexual beings. He created us with with these desires. What do we do? Well, the first thing that we need to do is love God and love our spouses. Love your husband. Love your wife. Solomon goes on in verses 15 through 19 then to really give us a clear biblical teaching on sexual ethics. And what he tells us, friends, make no mistake, he says, look, sexual pleasure is good. Sexual pleasure is great. It was created by God to be enjoyed within the context of biblical marriage. So let's just stop for a second and really kind of accurately describe what a biblical view of marriage would be. We've talked about this before, so this should come as no shock to you guys, but biblical marriage is one man, one woman, united by God in what Malachi 2 refers to as a covenant, God's holy covenant of marriage. That's it. That's it. So anything that takes place outside of that, anything that takes place outside of that covenant, it's sin. I mean, it's really simple. You know, so if you're living together and you're not married, you're living in sin. That's what the Bible says. Homosexuality, bisexuality, polyamory, multiple partners, transgender, etc., etc. It's all sin. And I'm not making it up. That's part of our biblical worldview. So what does Solomon tell us to do? Well, it's very interesting in verse 15. He says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what Solomon is saying here, right? I mean, clearly this, this, this metaphor of water is a metaphor for sex. And your spouse is your cistern. Your spouse is your well. Your spouse is your source of satisfaction. Drink from that well and not from any other well. Now, the temptation may be to think, ooh, you know, the water from that well? That water may be better. But what has Solomon already told us? In the end, it is bitter. Bitter as gall. It becomes a double-edged sword. And it's going to cost you dearly. See, if we want to be honest, friends, the truth is this. Married Christian couples have 
much better sex lives because it's built not just on love for one another, but on love for God and love for God's covenant of marriage. In verses 16 and 17, Solomon, he, he asks a question. He says, should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. So this kind of intimacy that he's talking about here, it's like streams of water. It's like a life-giving supply of water meant to be shared for the satisfaction of your spouse and no one else. In verse 18, he says, May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, or your husband, of course, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. My son, why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? And it's really interesting here that this word rejoice that he uses where it says rejoice in the wife of your youth. This is a verb that it is in the imperative, which means it's a command, right? This is not a suggestion, this is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. No, he says rejoice. It's the same word that Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where he tells us to rejoice always. And in that command to rejoice, friends, there is an element of choice. This is a choice. We choose joy. We choose to rejoice. This is very plain and simple. This is an outright call to seek fulfillment within the confines of marriage and nowhere else. Remembering, remembering what the biblical definition of marriage is and remembering that this applies to the guys and the girls equally, right? Okay. And Solomon, you know, like I said, he asks, why look for fulfillment elsewhere? Actually, he tells us why not to seek fulfillment elsewhere. In verse 21, he says, for your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them, and the cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. So what's Solomon saying here? He's saying, look, there is no secret sin before the Lord. You know, people sneak around and they have these affairs and they think no one's going to see. Guess what? God sees everything you do. Remember when we studied the attributes of God, we talked about those omnis, right? He's omnipresent, right? He's everywhere. He's everywhere always. He's there. He's there when you're watching that movie or that TV show with the gratuitous sex scenes. He's right there when you, when you look twice at that beautiful girl or that handsome guy 
and, and, you, and you just think for a second, hmm, what if? He's there when you click on that pornographic website thinking, you know what? No one's ever going to know. No one's ever going to know. And let me, let me just take a moment to, to, to make a comment here about pornography. Not only is it wrong and dishonoring before God and dishonoring for your spouse, but friends, it's addictive. It's addictive. It's no different than drugs or alcohol. And God is watching. And, friends, it is the gateway. Make no mistake. Statistics prove this out. It is the gateway to adultery and other sexual sins. It's that first step that Solomon warns us about. Don't even take that first step. Don't even start down that road. Remember what we learned about sin last week? Sin will always take you farther. And it will always keep you longer. And it will always cost you more than you could possibly imagine. Sin is a lie. Chapter 7, at the end, really kind of finishes with uh, another appeal and really kind of sums all of this up quite well. He says there, And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her or his ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, to hell, going down to the chambers of death. See, we're presented with a choice again. That's what Solomon does throughout the book of Proverbs. He presents us with a choice. And the choice is the path of wisdom, which leads to, to sexual fulfillment and satisfaction and life, or the path of foolishness that leads to sexual immorality and death. And, you know, you may be thinking, you know, whew, dodge one here, because I've never committed adultery. And if that's true, that is awesome. But I want you to remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. He said, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, temptation is not sin. Beauty is not sin. But dwelling on it, dwelling on it, and thinking, what if? That's lust. And lust is a sin. And I will bet that just about every person in this room is guilty. I know I am. And what is the penalty for sin? 
The penalty for sin is death. We all deserve this death that Solomon talks about at the end of chapter 7. But we have hope. We have hope. We have Jesus who came and died that death that we deserve. He came and he paid the price for our sin, a price that we could never pay. Anyone who believes in him and confesses their sins is forgiven and has eternal life. You want that forgiveness? You want that freedom? You want that peace? You want eternal life? Believe in Jesus. So do we need warning signs on the path of life? Maybe we don't need to be warned about using a hairdryer while we're sleeping. Maybe we don't even need to be warned about diving in the shallow end of the pool. But there's no question, friends, that we need the warnings and the wisdom that is found in God's Word. It's the only way that we stay off of that path of foolishness. It's the only way we stay on the path of wisdom that leads to life today, but life for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, we praise you, and we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the covenant of marriage that you've created for us. And we thank you, Lord, for the satisfaction and the pleasure that we can find in that covenant. And Lord, I just pray that you would, that you would pour out your spirit and that you would strengthen all of us, strengthen all of us against temptation. Lord, continue to guide us and teach us and keep us on that path of wisdom that leads to life. We thank you for your instruction, Lord. Pray that you would bless it to our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.